0: Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
1: Hi, this is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, Please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or mp3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for Scary Storytelling nightshade diary for classic horror and adventure stories stories of the supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show if you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world true crime conspiracy stories and anything that is just plain weird you can visit strange than fiction stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on blogspot i want to thank you for being part of my audience and i think you are all wonderful Hi everybody. This is Marley with Miami Ghost Chronicles: Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm doing good. I know as everybody, I'm not. I'm not going to complain anymore about that. You know, I'm still opening boxes, and I'm not. I'm not, even though I kind of am. But anyway, and I know a lot of you. I've I've, I've gotten messages about do I miss the farm? Um, I do and I don't as far as the the planting. But something I'm learning is that. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what I was doing today over here. That's a little bit further up north into the state. This is the time to plant as far as a lot of the, if you're doing any vegetables or even the flowers, um, is I, I would go to a, I went to a couple of nurseries around here and I saw people where it was like a mad dash for, especially the fruit trees and stuff. I was like, what's going on? So I was used to doing my thing whenever I wanted to because the weather down there was different, but now, so yeah, I'm, I've I gotten away from the farming, but I have to really do a lot of hard work and um I've gotten a lot of uh different some vegetables, some perennials, annuals, all that other stuff. So yeah. It's it's I like it though. But yeah, it's basically up here there's more seasons than what I was used to. And but you know, it's apart for the eventually I want to see if I take a uh take a little video of you know what's what I've got out here, and I've got these very, very old um, elm trees. I mean, oak trees outside that I've heard uh, different estimates from people that have come out here that they're between three to four hundred years old. I see if they're beautiful. They're really, really nice. They're about sixty feet up. And um talk about the setting for a horror story. But let me get on to one of one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the a sponsor that I have for this show okay and this is about a podcast it's called uh, military true crime addict okay and what it is is it's if you're searching for a podcast about crime relating to actual life events of military personnel veterans family members and those associated with the military in any way then you've come to the right place uh they welcome uh, military true crime addicts, where we will exp- where they explore a plethora of actual true crime stories that have not been reported on by news outlets or media. These stories, uh, upon hearing, you will be astounded by uh, either the history that should have been told and reported on long ago. So, in some cases, I may I mean. I mean that to understand it might be current, but it also might be something that happened some time ago. Uh, There'll be detailed stories uh, that touch on topics such as assault, harassment, sexual preference, abuse, power, murder, hazing, rape, and all stories that in some way relate to our military veterans and their extended families. There's also an abundance of episodes of serial killers with military backgrounds that you will not believe. And they provide a voice to the victims and hear their side of the story, and they also they hope to raise awareness of the heinous heinous I'm sorry crimes and those most impacted. You do not need to know anything about military to enjoy this podcast. Our listeners can hear original true crime stories with the specifics of what occurred. They can be found on Facebook at Military True Crime Addict, or the website address is militarytruecrimeaddict.com. So I urge you that if you're into true crime and, of course, uh, something that has uh, a military slant to it or aspect, even something that you might not be aware of, go check them out. But let's get on to the good part. The good part is my guest, and this gentleman has been here before. And as matter, we were discussing, time flies when you're having fun and even when you're not. It's almost been three years since he was on the show, and this is Paul Eno. He is one of the first paranormal, this is for people who are not familiar with him because uh, he's very well known in the paranormal field. He's one of the first paranormal investigators of the early 1970s. And this began while he was studying for the priesthood, his early mentors uh, included pioneers, Dr. Louisa Ryan, Father John J. Nicholas. He was a technical advisor for the film, The Exorcist, and legendary, the very controversial first generation Grandparents of ghost hunting Ed and Lorraine Warren. As a matter of fact, we spoke briefly before we started to roll that uh, we about the new uh, documentary that that's been running for a few months about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now, Paul he graduated from two seminaries, but was expelled from a third because of his paranormal work. And uh, about a year to go before his ordination, he turned to journalism, ending up in a distinguished career as a newspaper and magazine reporter and editor. And today. He's an award-winning New England journalist and a former news editor at the Providence Journal and the author and contributor to 10 books, two bestsellers, one in state history that is used in several Rhode Island school districts and two books that are already considered classics of paranormal literature. He's also the co-author with his son Ben of two books, a contributor to three other books, and the author of numerous articles in Fate and other magazines. He holds a rare Ph.D. degree in philosophy on top of that, he served in the U.S. Coast Guard Reserve, where, among other things, he led an intelligence photographic team in the wake of the Operation Urgent Fury in the Caribbean Sea in 1983 and 84. He's appeared many times on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, may he rest in peace, George Newry and George Knapp, Midnight in the Desert with Heather Wade, and on George Newry's television show, Beyond Belief. He has presented his interactive programs on the paranormal all over America and in Europe, and he's appeared on the Travel Discovery and History Channels. He serves on the research committee of the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute. And in 2019, he received the Albert Nelson Marquis Lifetime Achievement Award for his appearing in Who's Who in America for 30 years. He and his wife of 39 years live in Rhode Island. So, drumroll, how are you doing today, Paul?
2: Well, pretty fair, Marlene. You got through the whole the whole bio there. That that's uh, the first time that's been done, I think.
1: Of course, of course, everything. Well, it's this is all about you, and I'm thrilled to have you
2: back. And um, oh, it's nice to be back. Yeah.
1: So, uh, after we spoke last, I know you've had a um, other books come out, other things, and and as I mentioned earlier. Your part of the country, the Northeast, is very well known for having a lot of paranormal events. And so, what's been happening, or what new books have you brought up, brought
0: out?
2: Well, uh, since um, I was last down, which I think was, as you say, three years ago or so, um, mm-hmm. there's been uh, one that. Uh, well, my my son and I, uh, Ben and I, wrote uh, one that came out from Schiffer Books in 2016. That's uh, uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. And then in 2019 uh, was a book that just I wrote, and and that's um, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Parasites, Poltergeists, Parallel Worlds, and God. Okay, Okay. So uh, that is a book I hated writing. There have been a lot of things in the past that I worked very hard uh, to bury the memories of, uh, exorcisms and things of that kind that were on uh, early on in in my career. well, if you want to call it a career, and uh, other cases that I'd written about before that I expanded upon somewhat. And uh, so that's what that pretty much was about. Um, What's been going on is that we, uh, as you probably know, have um, specialized since really 2005 in what we refer to as flap areas. Now, we've had to invent an entirely new vocabulary just to talk about this stuff, uh, because, uh, there were no words to, de- to describe the concepts, uh, at least as far as we could find, uh, adequately enough to write about them or talk about them. So, uh, the flap area, uh, the term flap has been applied to UFO cases,
0: mm-hmm. but a flap
2: area in our definition is, um, a, a very wide area. We're working on one that's about 330 square miles at this point, okay. uh, from Connecticut into New York state that, um, Involves in almost incessant paranormal activity of different kinds that are not Classically associated with one another. So you've got UFO phenomena all kinds of ghostly stuff going on. You've got uh, cryptids uh, Bigfoot things of this kind and 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 things that don't even have names yet that are all taking place in these areas Uh, There was a photograph that we that we got of of a, a, a creature that I've never even heard of the like of before, standing over somebody's sink. It was taken by a security camera while they weren't home, because the area, what we refer to as the Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut, Mm -hmm. um, which has, you name it, it's going on, including the military presence, uh, because they'd love to find out about this too. Uh, And you you had uh, break-ins taking place in which nothing was stolen. The police were scratching their heads, couldn't figure out what was going on. And this security camera got a picture of this creature leaning over the sink, and that—that's reproduced in in uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard. So, um, th- this is what we've been doing, and uh, there's, it's never a dull moment. When you say a creature, are we
1: talking cryptid or extraterrestrial type, or what? What was it? What did it look like?
2: Well, I, I don't know, Marlene, we, we tend to put labels on things. I know, we I know. I'm, 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 you know? Oh, no, we, we all do it, you know. And, and so, uh, but as far as, um, I don't know, uh, ultra-terrestrial, uh, the whole point of flat areas, uh, if our theories are correct, mm-hmm. is we've got, uh, um, well, well, first of all, what, what did Einstein say in his the special theory of relativity? Among other things, it was the time, Mm -hmm. Uh, essentially is all simultaneous. There really is no past. There really is no future, which does wonders for things like reincarnation uh, and uh, even death itself. I mean, how can Mm -hmm. you have any of that if there's no past and no future, really? We just experience right? Yeah, we, we just experience it that way. More and more physicists have come out and said that. So that's kind of the basis of the understanding of the flap area. And you have intersect points, as we call them, overwashes, another word we had to invent, uh, of the energies of these parallel worlds in which everything that, that is possible is actually real, all right? Not all coming together at once, although that, that could be happening uh, at this point. Uh, and um, theologians have talked about that. And so I think that what we're dealing with is um, anything can happen in a flap area because you've, you've got interplay of different, what to us would be different times, different inhabitants, uh, all mm-hmm. sorts of things. And one of the reasons I hated writing uh, the book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, was because I, I sort of came clean on things that I advised people not to do. I okay. always tell people, don't, don't do the medium thing. You don't. It's dangerous. You don't know what you're touching. Uh, you, right. it, it could be anything. Saying it and people believe it. Uh, it's, it's too dangerous. But a lot of the cases in the book that I finally broke down and wrote about, it looks like I'm doing exactly that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So um, not wanting to appear to be a hypocrite, I try to explain. what well, I think it's more of a meditation thing and talking to neighbors in close parallel worlds. And in many of these parallel worlds, a physicist will tell you who believes this, that uh, the, the laws of physics are very different or can be very different from world to world. So uh, I've encountered cases where uh, there was a fellow named Gilbert. And if, if we have time, I can yes, give you yes, background we do. On, on that. Uh, I was at, at, in the seminary, a Wadams Hall seminary in upstate New York, which doesn't sound like a Catholic seminary, but it was. Mm-hmm. And my boss, uh, Bishop John Marshall of the Diocese of Burlington, Vermont, uh, knew I was involved in this stuff, and I think he wanted to keep me out of mischief. So he sent me up there to the place in the middle of nowhere, right on the St. Lawrence River, right on the Canadian border. It was another, we called it the tundra. It was uh-huh. nothing, right? Um, however, he did not figure on the presence of uh, Father Lawrence—that's only his first name. I give him that name in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the, the not only the Catholic chaplain at the, the Saint Lawrence State Hospital just up the road, but he was the diocesan exorcist for the Diocese of Ogden'sburg. Very, very hush hush. And he knew I'd been working with Ed Lorraine Warren. So uh, he, I, I would see him walking down. The, now he lived at the seminary, but he didn't teach. So I say, No, who is this guy?" in a very quiet, kind of a buzzy, funny voice and everything else, but wonderful, wonderful spiritual fellow. And he uh, called me to his room one day, and he said, I hear you've been working with Ed. Lorraine Warren. And, and he liked Ed. Lorraine. Now, the, the, the previous faculty and the faculty I had after this, you know, different academic levels of seminary, mm-hmm. uh, did not like Ed. Lorraine Warren. But, but but this faculty was very supportive of me. I was very surprised. They were around 20, 20 and 21 years old, you know. Okay. And so uh, Push comes to shelve. and ended up assisting him at the state hospital where a lot of weird things were going on. I bet. Uh, yeah. I mean, w- when the doctors would be in a room, somebody was diagnosed schizophrenic or some psychosis or something, mm-hmm. uh, and stuff starts flying off shelves at the other end of the room. Obviously, this is not,
1: you know. All right. Yeah. You know, yeah right. This is not some family that's yeah. doing this for publicity. Yeah
2: yeah, so so some something else is going on. And that's when they call in Father Lawrence. So I was involved in a couple of exorcisms, one of one of which was particularly traumatic. And uh, you know, if you want to get into that later, you can, but yeah, yes, um, certainly. but but the the background, of course, it was that um, uh, that's what uh, what was happening. So I was in I would go to the state hospital as a seminary student. And several of us would go, uh, there was a group that would go, and and part of our pastoral training was to, you know, visit with Catholic patients at the hospital. Uh, Father Lawrence would say Mass, and they would, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, there was one woman who was in there who said she was a psychic medium. And I said, said, well, you know, Catholics really aren't supposed to do that. And, you know, she said, oh, it's fine. You know, you couldn't argue with her. Uh, And she was in a hallway, that was considered to be very strange in this particular ward.
0: Okay. And
2: uh, she would um, – there would the staff didn't like to be there at night. The patients get rowdy and stuff. And the most of them were, you know, all as dirt still getting rowdy. And uh, I said to this lady, uh, she said to me, you know, I can tell you what's going on in this hallway. And uh, I said, all right, what? And she said, well, there's a man uh, waiting for his wife, and he's going to take her home. So you know, standard garden variety, seance, nineteenth-century mm-hmm. stuff. You assume right. that it's a, a dead guy, you know, in the ward waiting for his wife to die. He's going to take her home to the light or heaven or nirvana or wherever, right? Right. So uh, fine, you know. So I said, okay, that's that's the garden variety standard explanation. But I, said, I want to find out about this. I'm going to try something. So uh, we were generally there once a week, but I all of a sudden started to show up a couple of days in a row. And uh, I said, well, you know, there are exams going on at the seminary and, and uh, panic is said, and I want a quiet place to study. So the, 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 they bought that, the nurses. <laughs> so there was a little room in this, in this hallway. It was supposed to be a chapel. It was uh, undeveloped. So to speak, there were a couple of chairs, a table that was a cross, and not much else, a light mm-hmm. bulb. So I went in there and I went into a meditative state. I learned the meditation from of all people, the Trappist monks. In Spencer, Massachusetts, and uh, little did they know what it would lead to. But uh, I was in this state, and all of a sudden, I heard right in my ear, "Hello, not hello, hello." I said, "All right, you know." So I was kind of shocked, and uh, there, there, there ensued for the better part of three evenings, you know, fading in and out a conversation with with a fellow named Gilbert. Okay. And at first, you know, apparently, in a, what to me would be a parallel world, in which it was not considered crazy to talk to the neighbors, he said, emphasis on the last syllable, right? Because that's what he went, uh-huh. that's the way he talked. Okay. Um, some of his vocabulary I couldn't make out, but it was obviously English, and I had never heard of anything like this. I'd never experienced anything like it, and he was waiting for his wife. And I said, "Oh, gee, could this lady be right?" He was waiting for his wife at the Canadian National Railway Station across the Bloody River in Prescott, Ontario. Now, I'd been there 100 times, uh-huh. you know, taking the train back and forth to Montreal, because that's how you get to Montreal, 120 miles. And um, But it was not in our reality. It was an entirely different reality. And it was quite clear what he was saying. But again, he would kind of fade in and out. And I said, you know, I'm across the river like a mile away in, in Augensburg, New York. I mean, what the hey is going on? And he didn't think anything strange about that at all. And as I say, it took the better part of three days to kind of get through this conversation. And apparently, what I gather, in his corner of the multiverse, it wasn't considered strange, as I say, to talk to the neighbors who were simply people in, in different parallel worlds close by, and there was energy exchange and a communication and that wasn't considered weird. Now, in our world, now, now, you get a picture that wow. here I am yeah. in, in the, at the heart of a psychiatric hospital talking to myself in this room. Now, the last <laughs> thing I needed was for the staff like, yeah. to hear me, I would have ended up a patient. Get so, a room ready for them. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was it was rather comical, you know, the, the, the setup. But it was just, it was, I didn't know what to do with this information. I went back okay. to the seminary, and I, I, like, didn't come out of my room except to take exams over, like, two or three days. Finally, the faculty sent somebody to see if I was all right. I wasn't gonna blur it out what this was, but I was, I was extremely upset. You, you know, Marlene, there's nothing. Only 4%
0: of universities in the US are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: More terrifying than something that happens to you, paranormal or otherwise, that smashes your belief system. Oh, you better believe it. Now, th- things in the, I uh, see what you did there. Yeah, But, uh, but uh, as far as the, uh, the actual events, uh, yeah, they can be scary enough. But, you know, all we really have is our belief system.
1: Well, and, and, and that's the thing. It, it's almost like doesn't matter. You don't have. You know how people are trying to find proof to convince other people. But once it happens to you alone, that's it. Like you said, there's exactly. something that shifts in there. It's like I don't yep. care if nobody ever believes me, but God, I know that this is real.
2: Yeah, That's why I never wrote about this. You know, I think. You know, I know I would say we believe what we believe. Our theories and methods about you know the. Multiverse novels were developed from personal experience in the trenches. Well, this this was really the first, one of the first major paranormal experiences that I had that, that started to be thinking about those theories and methods, you know.
1: I may ask something, Paul, and something, and I'm going to, this is a little bit segue. I'm surprised. Why weren't you ever tapped to become an exorcist when you were in the seminary?
2: Well, um, one of the, I, I think Father Lawrence maybe had that in mind as I went, mm-hmm. but again, I was still very young. I was at the beginning of what was called at the time major seminary. It was really the last two years of college, and you had to major in philosophy, and then you'd go on to four years of, of graduate theology, and then you'd be ordained, presumably. However, uh, the little glitch in, in my uh, world at the time was that I, I, I started to develop uh, a relationship with the Eastern Orthodox Christianity, okay? Okay. Now, people think they're just Roman Catholics without the Pope, but that's not entirely true. They're, they're older, I mean, historically, and uh, I thought they had uh, a more original approach to Christianity, you know, like mm-hmm. more uh, out of the early centuries rather than, uh, you know, the Renaissance or the Reformation or anything else, and uh, and I, I still think that's, that's true, but mm-hmm. I— um, Actually, and this never—you know—seminarians in the Roman Catholic seminary did not leave the church; they left the seminary, but not the church, right? Right. And uh, I became Orthodox in my senior year there, and uh, they were very gracious about it. I—they I, let me graduate. I got my degree, and uh, the, then I, I went on to the next academic level, which was the same as the Roman seminary. It would have been—it was St. Vladimir's Orthodox Theological Seminary in New York mm-hmm. City. Very, very different in many ways. First of all. And this really wasn't on my radar when I did this. People thought it was, which is they thought I, I wanted to be a married priest. Uh, Orthodox parish, parish priests are almost all married. It's considered oh, odd okay. not to be. Okay. So, uh, I mean, you know, th- th- that solves a lot of problems because mm-hmm. it creates others. But, I mean, but in, in oh. their seminary, there were their faculty, they were married. They were women students. It was it was so much healthier, I thought. Right. And um, But in any case, they did not like – my paranormal, right? and they did not like Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, it was like you know, because
1: I was convert. thinking, You know, to me, it would be like his interest in the paranormal is like that's a big red neon arrow. This, this is exorcist material.
2: You know, yeah, maybe if I'd stayed in the Latin church, yeah, but but the Orthodox again, you're a new convert. Keep your nose in your books, <laughs> okay, and okay. out of the Warren's business. You know, uh-huh. so uh, so th- so that uh, was an entirely different thing. And they're the ones that threw me the heck out in 1977. Right, really. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was funny. the The, the rector, uh, who was a, a distinguished theologian, whom I love to this day, because he, you know, he translated, as we say, some years ago. But he was one of my teachers, Father Alexander Schwemin, uh Called me into his office afterward, and he said, essentially, he'd come back from Paris that night. He went to the faculty meeting, and and somebody claimed that I performed an exorcism on somebody in the student body, which was complete nonsense. I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> And he said, you want to come back and study, right? I said, yes, Father, I do. But I never heard back from them. I mean, That's what is weird. that? So I don't know. I said, well, to be maybe they ha- they and I both had a lucky escape. Uh, and so I just, I, I kind of picked myself up, dusted myself off and decided to get into journalism. Okay. So I went to Trinity College in Harper and studied in the Master of Liberal Arts program. And they ended up um, shoehorning my way into the only newspaper in New England that would talk to me and that was uh, one in Rhode Island. Here, that's how I got to Rhode Island. And I later found out that it was uh, considered the worst daily newspaper in New England. It had a revolving door that would leave you leave your head spinning. So, uh, but it was it was a, a great start. I, I did all kinds of exciting stuff as a reporter, and I ended up later on at the Providence Journal, which was a, the major metro here, as uh-huh. an editor. And because uh, that that sounds more important than, <laughs> than it is, because there are a lot of editors. But um, And then, then finally, I ended up uh, starting my own media company. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I wanted to work at home, so they didn't have to go to daycare. My wife is in the law business, and you know had to go to her office. And so the boys uh, both worked for me. At some point, Ben Ben kind of still does uh, with the radio show and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was really, um, it really worked out in the end. But I didn't become a priest, uh, and I've never done an exorcism.
1: I would have thought, because, you know, I had heard a little bit ago, a couple of years, I want to say, you know, uh, after Dr. F- Father Amroth and passed away in 2016, the official exorcist yeah. for the Catholic, that they were having a little bit of a problem, um, not with new priests, but with new priests wanting to be, become exorcists, that a lot of well, them were like, no, we don't want to do that.
2: Yeah, there were there were a lot of funny stories coming out of the Vatican at the time. Now, I had two friends at the vatican one of whom worked in the secret archives it really actually is such a thing right but i mean like they're going to tell me uh right what's going on because i was already uh, on the air so um but what i've heard from friends and contacts is that they had like apparently one public conference about exorcism and exorcists and and they were doing what i i had advised them you know like i said like they're going to listen to me i was a kid uh i said you know you see, the Exorcist movie had just come out at the end of seventy-three, right? And uh, that's when I was working on all this stuff. And finally, you know, seventy-four was wild, and they, that ended up at the Bridgeport Poltergeist the, the, that November, and everybody was all excited about exorcism. And I said, "Why don't you just tell people, here's what it is. Don't worry about it. We're on top of it, you know. And and, and uh, go on with your life, you know." But no, they clammed up, and what's the best way to get people nosy about something and, and digging is clamming up oh, sure when so. you're supposed to know, you know? So, I mean, th- th- it was terrible, but again, as I said, you know, like they weren't going to listen to me. So maybe they finally realized, you know, a hundred years later, you know, in, uh, more recently that, that they don't really serve themselves well by clamming up and maybe they should talk more about it openly. Yeah, uh, but again, it's, <clears throat> it's a crazy subject. Uh, people don't understand it and they go wild with it. And they see Hollywood movies and take that. I was gonna as, say, Thank
1: uh, you, Exorcist. I think it really started with that movie came out in the 70s. That was, oh, the, yeah, yeah, that was the, the well,
2: there was the, a lot of interest in the late 60s, too, in which is why they made the movie. Now, Father John Nicola, who was one of my mentors, as I say, uh, was um, uh, probably the leading exorcist in the country at the time of the, of the Roman Catholic variety. And he had the anonymous job of uh, assistant director of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. Now, you know, you watch news reports from Washington. They have this background. You have the Capitol. But you know, up in the upper left-hand corner in the northeast part of the city is this huge dome and a big spire. That's the National Shrine of the Immaculate wow. Conception. And so <clears throat> it's um, it's obviously still there. And, and he was the assistant director, which was the most anonymous job in the Catholic Church. I mean, what does the assistant director do? And he took care of exorcisms and he kind of managed that whole scene for the u s church. Uh, now I met him through my brother, who was a priest across the street teaching at the seminary that was part of Catholic University. So he got us together. I don't know if he ever regretted that, but um, so I, I whenever I'd visit my brother, which was a lot, I'd cl- get be closeted with Father John Nicole and he'd give me guidance and guide some reading for me and all this stuff and then give me advice and he he was really wonderful uh now he was the technical advisor for the film the exorcist okay which he said he would he regretted doing and he said a lot of the things that supposedly happened on the set the Mm -hmm. weird stuff that was largely true okay so and a lot of weird things happened to the the cast after that too so uh, this stuff is um pretty pervasive but again when when I was involved in the exorcisms with Father Lawrence, this isn't particularly the one in the seventy the end of seventy three. I was just I, I, I've always been a very persistent and annoying questioner, you know. Particularly in the seminary, I would say stuff like, "Okay, well, the Bible says Christ was in the tomb for seven days after or I should say three days after the crucifixion," but I said, "You know, evening Friday to to Sunday morning dawn is not three days. It's like a day and a half." And they'd say, well, the point is that he did it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But, I mean, you know, get it right. Uh, or I would say stuff like uh, the, the theology says Christ was truly God and truly man. Well, if he was truly man. He would have had a, a wife and reproduced. You'd think, you know. And uh, they don't like that. They said, I mean, you know, of course not. I mean, what do you mean, of course not? And to this day, they're, they're obsessed with the cervix, you know, and the, the whole thing. No, the whole premise of, of uh, Dan yes. Brown's books. You know, the horror exactly. that Christ could have had a, a child in, in a line right. of the And so what? Exactly. You know, I, 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 having been subjected, well, in the Eastern Christian mind, that doesn't bother them like that. Right. It's it's the Catholics and Protestants who just just go to breakfast. Well, it's together.
1: almost like that movie, you know, they want the, you know, Jesus dies, goes into heaven, you know, marries the virgin and the credits roll and that's it.
2: <laughs> it yeah, make- yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. And I mean, I'm never
1: not like he's less holy if he would have lived uh, or with yeah, an ordinary like life.
2: Would, yeah, I mean, I don't get it. So, you know, and I studied all this stuff for years. But anyway, uh, so w- whether they're being more forthright about exorcism, uh, yeah, I mean, I can see that there are, is a lot of parasite activity. Let's well, have 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 get back uh, to
1: that that parasite, and okay, we're, and I'm, sure. gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna explain because for everybody before we started rolling, I was talking, I was asking Paul about. That investigation that you mentioned that you were involved in when you were a young seminarian, which was the Bridgeport, and I asked you what became of the family afterwards and the little girl, and we got into the conversation about parasites because sometimes there is the, that that is some type of causation when you have uh, what let's say poltergeist activity, which is what they were calling it, right, in the Bridgeport.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or something yeah, that persists. Favorite. And and you mentioned yeah. that that family, that it wasn't per se the house, it was them. Because they might yeah, be different I places. Think so.
2: I think it's safe to say, uh, as my friend Shane Searway does, uh, that uh it's it's people who are haunted, not places. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I think that that, that they that, that there's there are caveats to that. I mean, yes. obviously. But uh, in the, the case of the Bridgeport thing, and poltergeists are generally thought to be uh, thought forms or uh, the 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 result of the energy produced by an agent, is the traditional term. Right, like a uh, PK, RSPK. PK, whatever. Yeah, RSPK and all that. Uh, Recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. The uh, little girl Marcy, presumably being the agent, because she was about to, she was ten, she was about to enter puberty, and all mm-hmm. this stuff. But. Uh, it's been a long time since I believed any of that, all right? Now, okay. particularly in these exorcism cases, early on, I'd only been doing this for a few years, uh, it just got the impression that we were, as, as the old cliche goes, being played like bass fiddles by this thing. The a, The ritual of exorcism used at the Roman Catholic Church is very institutionalized, it's very formal, and mm-hmm. within the ritual are three actual exorcism okay and a lot of times uh, if something's going to happen that that's and it doesn't often uh, ha, that that's what what when it takes place uh, there are also uh, places where the demon is is ordered to give its name right and uh, that that sort of thing so it's all very formal but I got the impression that, that this thing uh, whose name it said was chow that, that this voice came out of this this little girl it was not hers uh, was, uh, as I say, playing us and feeding on the energy we were producing. Now, Father Lawrence was very calm all the time, highly spiritual man. There were people, the people involved were two attendants. I was one of the attendants, so I was any major guy. Uh, somebody who worked at the hospital staff was another attendant. There were two nurses and a doctor, always. And they were devout Roman Catholics, maybe because they'd seen this stuff before. I don't know, but they, they had... Uh, uh, they had to go to mass, go to confession, go to communion, fast. actually, a very serious preparation for this. Uh-huh. And there was a calmness about them in this. but I still think that the emotions produced by this thing uh, they were feeding upon it. and uh, or it, it was. I think there was only one parasite in this case. And I just think that uh, because very obviously it wouldn't work. They'd have to go back, even if it was a year or two later, uh, Barbara, the young 17-year-old girl who was the subject of this particular exorcism, uh-huh. uh, died a few years later of a drug overdose. She was really messed up as it is, which is why she was uh, a patient at the hospital, inpatient. Uh-huh. So I just said that there's there's more to this okay. than is generally believed, okay? okay. And uh, I, I swear I've run into the same entities more than once in these situations, uh, even before this, my first ghost case in Connecticut 1970 to 1972, I just got the impression that um, these people weren't dead at all, never mind being in purgatory, which was my original right, right. theological uh, approach to what I thought they were. Uh, they were living lives in a parallel world. Okay. You could hear environmental banging together. You could hear dogs, animals, people talking like it was a normal day, only you couldn't see them. So, I mean, in my opinion, I said something is wrong with the, the – uh, the these old ideas are not good enough. So the same thing with parasites. And then finally getting uh, in seven, November of 74 in this house, there were things going on I'd only heard about, only read about. Uh, and it's considered one of the – or the – or one of the best documented poltergeist cases in history because all kinds of police officers and journalists and trained people saw this stuff. Um, I myself was hit in the leg by a flying television set. And had a nice gash to show for it. Uh, I stood there while with police officers and firefighters and a refrigerator floated off the floor. Uh, wow. The police reports were, I believe they've been hushed up since then, but I reproduced several. Ed Warren got a hold of them. This is with uh-huh. Ed and Ray Warren in this case. And, uh, th- this is the first case dealt with in the, the uh, first of the shock docs, as they call them on the travel channel, which was the the. True story of Lorraine Warren. And uh, the first case covered was this one. And I explained what happened to me because I'm one of the few witnesses who's not dead. Let me ask
1: you something. What Was, was there a triggering event that caused all these things to happen in that household? Or what,
2: what happened? Well, one of the, no, nobody really knows, but the little, the little girl Marcy, mm-hmm. uh, this, this was a, a couple in their 40s who had had. Uh, a little boy who had who had translated, as we say, had died in the late huh. 60s. Everybody goes, "Aha! Obviously, it's the uh, jealous uh, spirit of the, you know, the baloney. Uh, right. The little girl was adopted from the Iroquois Nation in Ontario, Canada, huh. uh, several years before this. A lovely little girl, uh, but she had uh, she was very deep. There, there was a lot of the. Uh, I suppose people might might say, in the traditional terms, she might have been an old soul. Okay. Okay. And it's, it's often considered that she brought something with her, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, as I say, I've known families that have had parasites of certain kinds, uh, I call them the farmers, have uh, farmed, for lack of a better term, families for generations. Okay. Uh, went into that on uh, a number of occasions. and this could have been one of those. Uh, it's not that there's anything wrong with Native uh, American religion. Most right, no, no, person,
1: we're talking in general families. that
2: regardless. talking in of general, like, yeah, just human, or whatever, it's a human. Yeah. So uh, she arrived in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and uh, supposedly things would happen. At one point, uh, she was supposedly, this is before the, the whole case broke, uh, that they went in and the, the couch was lifting up she, the side she was sitting on, and her friend, the little girl, was sitting at the other end. It was very shocked, to say the least. Uh, but when this uh, all started to come down, it started, as these parasite cases do, mm-hmm. uh, very slowly, uh, some pounding. Uh a few noises here and there. And as you get more annoyed, more fearful, or more angry, it feeds on and gets stronger. All right. Right. Now, in my opinion, when I walked into this house, I felt four entities. Now remember, I was still in the seminary. I was trained that these were demons. That that's the way the Warrens and I approached it, and Father Bill Charbonneau, who was the priest that they brought in on this too. And um as I as I mentioned off the air, uh, the, the most difficult times are when your belief system is smashed, uh-huh. because well, what do we have but our belief systems? And my belief system was that these were demons, uh, and we all believed that uh, a, an exorcism had to be performed in a house in the house, and we were waiting for the, the bishop of Bridgeport because these people were Catholics uh, to uh-huh. give permission for that, and that never happened. Okay, they they were saying uh, they were trying to fend off the press too. Uh, the bishop was so uh here we are in the midst of this it was chaos uh, reporters uh, and all people so early on people were just wandering in the house and looking around and this went out far and wide hither and yon in the press and uh, so we had huge numbers of people outside the house which I think only fed it more right and, the- and
1: and also when you mentioned the exorcist had come out, back then very yeah. recently so
2: yeah people in the crowd were actually said they expected father charbonneau and me to come flying out the window like the priest did <laughs> at the end of the movie you know so except uh, though there was no had, long stairs to fall all, down. all i had was the, the tv set was after me that's about all, all <laughs> that happened but, yeah. with that but uh there were all sorts of things going on uh furniture flipping over things of this kind uh one of the uh the, the strange uh and, and this is what uh, our show on Sunday we're going to have uh, John Fraser, the uh, poltergeist uh, expert from uh, the UK is going to be on with us uh, on our show and uh, I want to get into him w- with him some things that that have not happened to me during Poltergeist cases. Now, the closest I got to the uh, the auditory phenomena.
0: Okay, round two, name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh a book club Computer solitaire, huh?
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW Root. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, we're pulled to guys. Supposedly will talk and, and this sort of thing as, as in the uh, uh, Blair, Witch case of uh, 1817, 1821 in Tennessee. Uh, the closest I've gotten to that is was Sam, the talking cat in this Bridgeport case. Okay. <sighs> Now, as these, What um,
1: was that? Are you serious? Oh, Sam
2: the talking cat, supposedly, right now. Okay. I mean, I wasn't born yesterday, you know. And I mean, I was, and I'm talking Mr. Ed here, but uh, the little girl had a cat named Sam, okay. And uh, her her psychological profile was very interesting. She was a classic uh, poltergeist victim or parasite victim, in my opinion, because she'd been uh, smothered. By her parents, uh, psychologically speaking, she'd been what we today would call bullied at school. So she'd oh. been at home in that house for six weeks, tiny house, mm-hmm. really three rooms in a basement. Okay. And she had been um, uh, very close to this cat. And she said she told me the cat was her only friend.
1: Okay.
2: And supposedly the cat would talk and I, I could see she was holding it close to her throat and throwing her voice, in my opinion, that was right. What it right. Was. Okay, so she's
1: but, uh, Mr.
2: Gooden, yeah, well, but there was more to it. I supposedly, Mr. Gooden, uh, Jerry uh, said that that cat would come to the top of the stairs. First, the cat was fine before he went for an operation at the vet. I don't know what the operation was. He must have swallowed a minor bird. Mr. Gooden said, "Quote unquote, he would come to the top of the stairs. The cat, not Mr. Gooden, supposedly pound on the door." And demand to be let out and say let me out of here you dirty rat you dirty frenchman What? that's that the man that's what he said the cat would say and he let the cat out and everything was uh, all was forgiven <laughs> i mean i mean what What? Happened? and uh somehow the next
1: he told you that story i mean i'm sorry this,
2: but- <laughs> yeah, very serious salt of the earth kind of guy you know working class fellow had never seen anything oh. like this before obviously and the, he and his wife at the whole time, I was, you know, why us?
1: Well, let me ask and, you, uh, and this is very interesting. Prior, they, in other words, this family, this couple, obviously their child had died, but they had never had this type of experience. It was, everything came, happened after they had a yeah,
0: Well,
2: well you yeah, know. again, they, they had been going on for a good six months, you know, with the pounding and all, and they'd recorded this. And I heard recordings of the pounding it was before I got there. And there were uh, uh, police uh, who were consulted and uh, seismologists who'd been consulted. City engineers came. And uh, the best they could come up with was that there was a, a hospital down the road that was having an addition put on. Maybe they were banging around to the point where, you know. But, I mean, that that's obviously th- didn't do it. Uh, there were supposedly footsteps heard as well. Uh, a window smashed from the inside. All sorts of stuff like this in in the buildup to you know, the weekend of November 23rd, 24th. 25th and 26th of 1974 so uh, but but the cat uh, just uh, I like the cat but I, I never see I had seen anything like it in my all my years as a journalist I'd never seen anything like this uh, at the time there were three networks there were ABC NBC and CBS that was it no cable or anything like that they were close to New York so they sent report the network sent reporters up uh-huh. and here are these reporters Holding a microphone up to the cat, begging oh, it they to say, "Did they did? Do yeah. that. from network television, right?" And uh, I guess fortunately for the cat, it kept his mouth shut, but uh, <laughs> it would have been on Ed Sullivan, like the. Or did they decided to
1: dissect me, or something like that.
2: Yeah, right, right, right. So I mean, I don't know what to make of that, but uh, there was—I did hear a story from uh, the daughter of a witness who okay. the witness had been a firefighter and I'd never heard this before. I only heard this uh, a few months ago. I was on the air with somebody and somebody called, I was on coast to coast as a matter of fact, and they called in. Okay. And said, had you ever heard the story of the cat and my father? I said, no. <laughs> and supposedly he was leaving the house and, and the cat followed him and, and said to the effect of, um, get out of here. You're never going to find anything anyway. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, I mean, you know, that was the first I'd heard of that. I mean, these cases, you're, you're uh, sometimes I mean, hearing I mean, things you have like heard. The
1: talking cat would have been scarier, than, I think, than anything else. I'm sure that man never went back.
2: Yeah. it must have been a talking <laughs> cat. <Sam> I don't <laughs> know. That's, that's but supposedly, it would be in poltergeist cases, there are uh, like Jeff, the talking mongoose, from <laughs> uh, what was it, about 1930 in, in uh, uh, the UK. And uh, the, the 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 and we did a whole show on this with the guy uh-huh. who written, written a book about it. And the mongoose supposedly would talk. They would hardly ever see it. But uh, disembodied voices in poltergeist cases tend to be rather common. Okay. So again, as in the Blair Witch case, too. So so this is uh, all interesting stuff. But the closest I came to that was uh, Sam the Talking Cat.
1: Uh, you know what? I had not. I had, did, had no idea that that was part of that case. That's incredible. So well, many
2: layers in that case, yeah.
1: <laughs> and um, getting back to – that that sometimes you found we, we discussed that you know that case and others that sometimes there's a something that when if you especially if you can uh speak to somebody in the family it's like a generational thing
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's true uh, i mentioned the the example i was uh, giving a talk in san diego one time and uh there was a, a you know decent audience and but i kept my eyes kept being drawn to this one woman in the back and because uh, there was something attached to her, there was some kind of energy there. And so at the end of the lecture, she came up and said, you noticed, didn't you? I said, yeah, what's going on? And uh, she was a f- uh, from a family of Italian descent. And sometimes there are ethnic twists to this, mm-hmm. like the Irish with the leprechaun. I mean, that, that apparently really happens. That, that's, I don't know why, but it's interesting. But she said uh, her family had been in California for several generations and that she, her mother, her grandmother and her great-grandmother had all been uh, psychics and mediums
0: mm-hmm. and
2: had had attachments of some kind that were really a pain in the neck, you know, for, for each generation. Okay. And uh, we, we uh, worked with her a little bit and, and I think it, it probably got better, but I think she was dealing with, with one of the farmers, uh, which is one of the species of parasites that, that we mm-hmm. uh, pinned a label on there. So, uh, But I think this is relatively common. Uh, of that kind of species. And I think that it's possible that in the Bridgeport case, that might very well have been the situation too, because as, as I mentioned off the air, Marcy had a very sad life after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, After they threw us the heck out of the case, cause, cause we had left simply because we needed to get some sleep. Right. And uh, the police chief, uh, Superintendent Walsh sent officers to the, into the house. This is on Tuesday, the uh, 26th of November. And, and simply declared that the whole thing was a hoax uh the traffic in the city was unbelievable everybody this this is all every which we're on in in the media and people the the traffic was both ends of the street uh all the blocks around bumper to bumper because people wanted to see the ghost house you know the haunted house yeah and so um they put the clamps on that but and, and then marcy was uh and the family went to the fairfield we were told anyway uh, that Warren found out, went to the uh, Fairfield Hills uh, Psychological uh, State Hospital, the psychiatric uh, department there, and uh, things started to happen there. Uh, supposedly, the uh, Christmas tree uh, they had to be sunk in concrete that, that year because it kept moving. Uh, and then before they sold the house, which they actually managed to do, a team from uh, Duke University Parapsychology Lab, as it was at the time, uh-huh. uh, came in uh, with a couple of the people I knew who – Told me later that that they they just something was weird, but that they couldn't nothing happened while they were there, and they couldn't um, get uh, enough of a picture out of the witnesses to uh, to really put anything together, and that they didn't even write an in-house report on it. That's what Jerry Soffin told me. So uh, again, fast forward forty years, and you have William J. Hall, who uh, decided that he was a kid at the time, okay. and remembers the crowds. Uh, wrote a book on this case and did a pretty good job. Uh, And he interviewed me and, and the, uh, you know, the the only remaining witnesses, you know, a bunch of uh, 80 year old retired police officers who were the only ones were still around. And uh, he got a pretty good book out of it. So uh, that was the story of that. But as far as Marcy was concerned, she Mm -hmm. uh, lived a rather, rather solitary life, moved back to Ontario, Canada. Uh, Bill was able to find some of her relatives and uh, she uh, died of cancer. Uh, in 20 it was 2012 or 2013 just before uh, he was able to interview her and uh still very sad so she was wasn't in the book either but uh so i'm just about the only one left
1: right and that's um that's it's i've heard of similar things in other uh hauntings or i want to say hauntings for lack of a better word where when you start talking to them you find out exactly what you described that Family members, far back, mother, grandmother, grandparents, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like, you know, the family curse so well, you know, they kind of like are resigned. Yeah,
2: precisely. I've actually heard it referred to as that. And, and one of the first things we do is go in uh, with a questionnaire that's very detailed. And I tell people, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff on here, including medical histories. And you want to find out, <coughs> excuse me, if there's, you know, drugs involved, if they've been involved mm-hmm. in that. Or, What's sure. going on in the family? Because the family dynamics have a lot to do with ringing the dinner bell, as it were, for the, for oh, these parasites, yeah. and the family, the family dynamics could go back for generations, you know, uh-huh. as we've said. So, um, but every case is different, and uh, we have a we have a questionnaire online uh, if people want to take a look at it. But but that's mainly mainly toward cryptid sightings, but uh, so we're adapting that to be an online uh, a resource for people to report mentioned okay. something really interesting when you said those
1: flaps you know or areas flap area, yeah. when you say flap are we talking overlapping or rips or portals between dimensions like in other words purposely or just things that shift and come and go
2: well that's one way to put it uh, one of the I, I think that our ancestors knew all about this uh, shamans from indigenous peoples have told me that yeah, you're on the right track. This is this is just what we do, and this is we're we're aware of this. Uh, when I was in England, for example, in 1989, uh, I was sup- supposed to be tracking down the Beast of Exmoor. You know, it's a, supposedly a cryptid. But right. uh, I said, I'm over here. I'm going to make the most of it. And I went to visit some stone circles. Okay. Because I'm friendly with Paul Devereux, who was from the Dragon Project, who would measure energies in these stone circles, in, in particularly the UK and France. And uh, I went to um, uh, one that uh, was still active, because some, sometimes uh, I think the intersect points and in the overwashes move, so the right. circle isn't active anymore. But in, in this one, the Scorhill Stone Circle in, in the county of Devon, it was a um, miserable, March, drizzly day. And I'm standing in this circle, which is kind of the middle of nowhere. I have to go through this farm to get to what is out in the, in, in the, on the moors, as they call it. Uh, mm-hmm. I looked up, and uh, coming from uh, there, there are pi- beautiful piles of rocks on the moors, and, 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 and uh, in this part of Devon, they call them tors, T-O-R, yes. this is like this pile. And uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes wrote about them in in uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles. And that's the road right. that was set near here. So I'm looking up at this tor, quarter mile away, maybe uh, if that. And a line of people comes out from behind it. some on horseback. Some uh, walking, and I really couldn't tell where they. I said, "What the hey? Are they?" It was a Wednesday in March, and a and a kind of a grim day. So, what are they doing? It could have been a a group of people just adventuring or something, some on horse. Uh, But supposedly, I I was talking to the farmer, and he said, "The stones will come and go in that circle. Sometimes they'll appear. Sometimes uh, there'll be fewer stones the next day, and the the people just sort of don't think anything Mm -hmm. of it at this point." So uh, I'm wondering, uh, here we may have, may have the idea of, of an intersect point. Now, uh, go back to the 60s, and probably one of, one of the uh, certainly uh, the, the classic examples of this would be the Mothman case in the Ohio Valley of the U.S. Uh, John Keel, whom unfortunately died before I got to know him, was uh, talking about window areas. That's what we're okay. talking about. All sorts of things coming and going, intersect points, whatever you want to call it, uh, and people, uh, we talked to a lot of witnesses down there who were kids at the time, footsteps on their roofs, something landing and running around and taking off, uh, red eyes looking in their windows and from under their furniture, mm-hmm. increased psychic powers. Some people having very positive things happen when they encountered Mothman, the, whatever this creature was. Uh, one, one guy I'm thinking of is, uh, uh, was saying that he his, all of a sudden he became... A br- brilliant in math in school, got all A's. Where he'd been a flop before, wow. and uh, was able to uh, paint uh, as in as in uh, you know paintings. <laughs> so, okay. And uh, other people had these horrific experiences. So all these uh, examples of flat areas, uh, UFOs, all kinds of things, Men in Black, all kinds of things going on in the same area in relatively close proximity, and people usually don't associate you know, Bigfoot with UFOs or ghosts or anything, but we think they're intimately related because they're using the same processes to come and go. If um, it raises the question, are UFOs from other planets? Are they time travelers, you know, in the sense of this simultaneous time Mm -hmm. moving from one consciousness stream to the other? Uh, Are they neither? Are they something we can't conceive of yet? Are they all of the above? Uh, These are all things I think we have to consider. So that's what flat areas are all about. And the one we started in, uh, we've been working on one for almost 16 years now. Okay. And it was one of, one of Ben's first cases. And uh, this is in the Litchfield County area of Connecticut. And uh, we've, uh, that's ex- extended out to about 330 square miles at this point. Now, one of the things I asked Bill uh, during, when he was, Bill Hall, when he was researching the Bridgeport book, he says, see if you can, and this is something that didn't occur to us at the time. See if you can talk to people who were neighbors at the house of the house at the time, and, and see if anything happened in their houses. Sure enough, he found that there were things happening in their houses. Ah. Uh, this and Ed Warren had a term as sort of a spillover phenomenon, but I don't think he really got it as far as I mean nobody did as far as uh, multiverse ideas were concerned. Uh, there was a spike in UFO sightings over that area at the time, so all this kind of kind of gets into why. And, uh, and why is the flap area what it is and where it is? Uh, mm-hmm. We have um, kind of been researching a phenomenon known as the Bouger anomaly. Mm-hmm. All
1: right.
2: The Bouger anomaly, named after a French scientist, is a gravitational anomaly. It's well known to science. As a matter of fact, they, they look for it when they're looking for oil and gas deposits. Engineers and seismologists look for this. And nobody really understands how it entirely works, but there are certain light elements that, that are involved. But with the Bougie Anomaly, uh, where that's present, when you walk down into a river valley, such as the Ohio Valley, where the Mothman thing took place, uh, right. or such as uh, some of the, the, the areas of the Litchfield County in Connecticut, you walk down and you would expect that gravity would get a little heavier as you approach the center of the Earth. You know, and the, uh-huh. But it doesn't, where the Bougie Anomaly is present, you, you get a little lighter. Gravity lightens up somewhat. All right? And it's very weird, but, but it's measurable. Okay. And we've found... Uh, that uh, in the weirdest cases we've dealt with, particularly the flap areas, the Bougie anomaly is front and center. The strongest Bougie anomaly in Connecticut is right smack under the Litchfield Triangle. All right. Okay. Uh, the, the the second strongest is over in the other end of the state in, in the uh, Pomfret, Putnam area, where I had my first case, 1970 to 72, where all these weird things are going on. You're hearing okay. the lives of other people. Now, why would this have any relevance? what did einstein say about gravity it bends space and time okay right so now whether it's enough to do that whether we're all wet on this i don't know but we are looking into it because i think it's a distinct possibility and uh it's attracted some attention anyway so let Uh, me ask you
1: after you because you said you've been following this area for many years have you seen any pattern of factors where there's an uptick of sightings you know like a cycle or when yeah. we see these thing, these correlations sure enough something will happen have you found anything like that
2: yes uh wh- one of the um uh factors that 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 could be involved here and and started perhaps 10 years ago was uh having to do with our galactic neighborhood Okay, and everything's connected, as you know. It's not just an isolated planet with nothing going on. Right. But uh, you have a, a flattening of the galactic plane that mm-hmm. happens about every six hundred million years. Okay. So it means, uh, and astronomers have told me this, that that um, energy, particularly uh, Electromagnetics uh, can can go zipping back and forth across enormous distances, mm-hmm. uh, and affect the planets. Uh, and, and, not only, and the, the whole schmear is, is is flattened out uh lately including the solar system you see maps of, of the the planets you know with the sun and they're all lined up well they're almost never like that except you know kind of now they're all over the place you know like an atom uh mm-hmm. so i think that the electromagnetics of the uh, of the thing have, have really uh, uh become more conducive to the flow of uh, interworld energies, if you will. I think that, that may be a factor. One of the things, too, that I think we have to consider that we should maybe caveat here is that the information flow mm-hmm. is incredible today with the internet. Everybody knows everything as soon as it happens. Yes. And so uh, there, there could be no more paranormal phenomena going on than usual, but everybody's hearing about it more. And everybody's got their cell phones and taking pictures of this. Yeah. I mean, we got an incredible UFO video. Uh, uh, well it's said uh, May 19 now in, in the Pennsylvania Triangle which uh-huh. Coast to Coast put on it, it, we sat on it for a year we wanted to move on and one of our gang is Mark D'Antonio from Wufon. he's, he's the, their chief analyst for videos uh, and he said it was, a, it was one of the two best UFO videos he'd ever seen and uh, so that, then we released it but um, that area Bigfoot seen it myself my own eyes right. uh, UFOs we have neighborhood meetings down there where all these people get together. We have to, we, we've had to move them to restaurants because nobody's house is big enough. Uh, and they, they agreed to on-camera interviews. We're having another meeting uh, by Zoom uh, coming up in uh, next month. And okay. Bigfoot, UFO, generations of people with Bigfoot stories. Okay. Uh, we actually have three generations on camera with, with our great uh, colleagues, uh, uh, Alexander Petikoff and Charles Credo. Uh, Alexander being a filmmaker and Chuck the terrific interviewer, and uh, th- this stuff is well known down there. Um, so I mean, th- this is your flap area, and again, Bougie anomaly is present there. Uh, do you
1: think anything of the shifting of the poles, and like even they say that even that's why even the little the GPS is are being thrown off? Do you think that has anything to do with it?
2: Uh, I think it's all everything has everything to do with everything else anyway. Uh, right. The magnetic pole has been gradually shifting. Mm-hmm. Kind of southwest for as long as it has been measured, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to the actual north pole, the magnetic pole is different. Uh, so when you have a um, I mean, sooner or later you're going to have your your compass pointing toward uh, the middle of Manitoba, or I think I think it's right now it's over the Northwest Territories. But that's
1: uh, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: You know, whether it be climate or whether, like what whether you it said You said be it before, medical. we
1: never had GPS. You know, you people, there, there well, was. Well, exactly. COVID. Yeah. Nobody realized that it was happening. I don't know what I ever
2: did without it. Well, oh, imagine that. You know, you had to remember how to get <laughs>
1: to places or, or like the phone, you had to actually remember telephone numbers.
2: <laughs> oh, no, no, forget that.
1: Yeah. And anyway. I think that, that, that that's very interesting because a lot, they, they very rarely do you hear those types of explanations as to the cause of any phenomena, whether you want to call it paranormal as in ghosts or, you know, or yeah. bigfoot sightings or, or anything like that?
2: Well, I'll tell you one better, Marlene. Go ahead. I think what we might be dealing with is a, um, a mag- electromagnetic situation where worlds are coming together mm-hmm. more than they used to. Okay. Um, I'm falling back on my my theology here, but there was a a brilliant theologian from France, uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who wrote a lot in the 1950s and before that, and uh, came up with the idea of the Omega Point. Now, some people in the church consider him a heretic, but I think he's a hero. The Omega Point was the point at which everything would come together into one world Okay. Or one, un- unity, with a capital U, and, you know, as he would put it in in Christ in the theological terms. Mm-hmm. But but uh, theolo- theological terms are not, I mean, you can see uh, even what shamans have told me and stuff, things have been kind of coming to a pinnacle, and it may take another thousand years. But uh, I think you're, you may be having more paranormal phenomena, more intersect points, more overwashes, simply because the world's, and the world families, as we call are getting closer together. And uh, inhabitants are mixing. Uh, laws of physics are mixing. Uh-huh. And I think it's um, i think it's good. I, I think it'd probably be exciting in the end, because what would you end up with uh, against falling back on the theology? Well, I was going to ask you that. Do you really think that all these worlds are compatible? Well, I think that um, – and I'm, and I'm often asked this <laughs> – I'm often blamed for not embracing other people's religious beliefs, right? Because they figure if you're in the seminary, you must have studied what I believe. right? And it's not true. For, you know, most people don't know what their own religions teach. And uh, I'm not saying anybody teaches this, but <clears throat> I, I think it's very possible that uh, that that. Okay, w- what is the theology of the creation? Okay, right. God had infinite love that could not be contained and literally like exploded into. Uh, the creation. Okay. Well, if you have infinite love, wouldn't you have an infinite creation? You know, not, not just oh, one yeah. timeline or, or one yeah. universe or anything. I mean, see, maybe it's my, my canted oh, logic. You're,
1: you're absolutely right. It wouldn't have to be something finite. Yeah. Would yeah.
2: And, and I think that uh, th- this notion of this was well known to our remote ancestors. It was present even mm-hmm. in ancient theologies, um, uh, it's uh, w- w- what's the, the first line of, of, of Ephesians? Um, there's a reference to the worlds, plural, uh-huh. and through him, God created the worlds. Um, I studied Greek, so yeah, I because I, I wanted to read this stuff in the original. The English translations are, are hideous, uh-huh. and the actual word is cosmos, okay, which is Greek for worlds or universes, and, and that, that's the, the oldest documents we have in the Greek, say they use the word cosmos. Uh, throughout other um, scriptures of other religions, other, other traditions, there are references to multiple worlds. And it's very clear. I think that uh, this is probably the best um, kept secret in, in human consciousness is the notion of these multiple worlds. So uh, when you have worlds coming together, uh, and in, in quantum mechanics, there's a principle that all possibilities do exist. Mm-hmm. If they all came together, you might have a perfect creation. Okay. All possibilities, all everything balancing out in, in complete elegance. Okay. And I think that, that that's something we can be aware of now. I think the, the spirituality we, we, we could, could strive for would be awareness of the unity. Right. Uh, because what do we do when things don't go our way? Well, the cat died, so I'm never going to believe in God anymore. You know, <laughs> things like that. I mean, we all we're all tempted toward that, but there there are many many worlds where the cat never died, never will, or or never was. You know, so well, and, and, all, and,
1: and you know, and even if you think about it, even if it's not balance as we like to think of balance as in harmony. You know, maybe you know not everything yeah, has to yeah. be absolutely, you know, mirrored for it to be harmonious. Yeah. Uh, as long as it works, it's just that I want to say I'm going to include this world, this, this existence, this dimension, whatever you want to call it. We, we kind of been the king of the hills for so long. It's hard to think of. Yeah, or I think we are. Well,
2: exactly. but, you know, there were, I was constantly running into people in psychiatric wards when I was you know, doing pastor work who seemed to be far more um, aware of this unity. And other people and and that very often that's why they were diagnosed schizophrenic and some of them were living in terrible worlds and were mm-hmm. undergoing great suffering others were in very beautiful worlds right. um, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this before but there was one we really weird day at uh, at the state hospital in Augensburg. I was there uh, doing the pastoral visits and uh, there was a the doctor brought me into him and said you, you got to meet this guy I know you were just in history and uh, this particular fellow was um, and he wasn't, uh, you know, he also had f- you know, physical illnesses, too, uh, as well as, uh, you know, he was diagnosed schizophrenic. And he, he actually, ble- he had jokes about people who believe they're Napoleon. This guy actually did believe he was Napoleon. He was one of those. <laughs> we had the most fascinating conversation. He was talking about Waterloo, Borodino, as if he was actually there. Okay. It was incredible. And the look in his eyes was so knowing. But what ruined it at the end was I finally asked him I said you know how did you find out or how, what what is it that made you think that you really were Napoleon and he looked at me very seriously and said God told me well in the next bed there was a guy who'd been lying there like a lump the whole time rolled over and said I did not <laughs> so I all right is, I said, oh. I'm going back to school you know is okay? this is, this is my to end this,
1: this conversation <laughs>
2: But the point being, um, there's a lot more to the universe than there appears to be.
1: I know, I know. And and that's I, I but what I'm saying is like you mentioned something about people's reality being shaken up. There's a lot of people that their reality is like, let's not go there because once this goes down this belief system or this this version of reality, then what else is there?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm gonna hold tight to the version I know because. Mm-hmm. I can function within it. So I, I can see right, people right. are resistant to, it's like, that's too much, <laughs> you know, other, mm-hmm. other dimensions other worlds, you know? Um, yeah. It's like the, they want to stick with the known as a matter of fact, they have enough trouble as it is with the known world, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> much less, yep. you know, stuff like that. But anyway, it has been wonderful to speak to you, Paul. Um, let me ask you for, I'm going to have a, a link to your show in the credits of this show, but for the podcast listeners, what is the website or where they can go ahead and uh, find out about your books and about your shows and everything?
2: Sure. Well, they, they can start at uh, behindtheparanormal.com. <laughs> yes, right I
1: there. see that right there, yeah.
2: yeah. Behindtheparanormal.com, and that's uh, where they can pretty they can find out pretty much everything from there. And it's been su- such a such a pleasure to be with you again, Marlene. Oh, Thank likewise. you for the invitation. It has
1: been great. And let me add, do you have any books, any projects in the works now?
2: Uh, yeah, we're working on uh, Behind the Paranormal Three, Uneasy Skies. Okay. Uh, that should be at the end of this year, beginning of next. Perfect. Then I want to wish you
1: the best of luck. And again, thank you so much for being a guest. And I hope to bring you back on. And once that book comes out, we can talk about that. Very good. Take care. Bye bye. So, wow. I'm telling you, I love speaking to Pati. You don't understand. We were had this conversation going on even before we were running it. It was like, okay, Marlene, you're doing this show before the show. <laughs> because he's he's, he's fascinating, you know, with the things that he talks about. And again, he's one of these guests that has years and years and years and years. And I'm gonna say the paranormal in a very broad sense. <clears throat> paranormal is a UFO, and as you can tell his background in what he studied. Um, I mean, it sounds almost like a lot of the things that he witnessed went against what he's being being taught in a way. It was like, okay, I'm being told this is the thing, but this is what I'm seeing or what I'm experiencing. And there's a, something here is not quite jibing, which is probably what he was saying, that that's, he became one of those, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, anybody that's had small children who keep asking, but why? And but why? But why? Well, he was one of those probably in his classes which is great because that's really, I think how human beings, uh, they develop. And when I say, <clears throat> I don't mean as in the individual, yes, but collectively as we progress in our as humans, and there's one of my dogs having a, a moment, um, that's how they we learn because we have groups of scholars or whoever that ask those questions, but why? Um, especially when you have a certain dogma that that doesn't coincide with the reality of things and by this you know a lot of people think well when when people do that are they trying to destroy no sometimes it's to make it better to make teachings better uh when it's explained uh to coincide with the reality of what even he talked about now the reality that we have let's say in the last what 30 years 25 years with uh you know, phones and technology and internet. And like he was saying that, you know, would, were all these things happening all along, but now that people are able to capture them because basically your phone is a camera and people are looking for it. And it's and in some cases, it doesn't carry a stigma to be involved. Where, whereas before you were worried like, man, people are going to look at me and go, oh, the crazy guy. Now it doesn't. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors in there that I... I truly believe he's right when he says there's a very good chance all these things were occurring, uh, you know, whether, whether it's a, some type of cycle or pattern all along, it's just that now we're actually aware and looking for it and uh, recording it, et cetera, et cetera. And what I want to, I had somebody that uh, that I promised I was going to bring this up in the show that um, in, in, in a way it ties into a little bit about what paul was talking about parasites you know or family curses or or people families that have generations of hauntings or you know some of those they call them demons or parasites whatever or farmers which by the way i think is a very apt description and um somebody because we were coming into springtime and and even myself when i moved in here because i've i've talked about it in other shows about where i sage my um uh, my uh this place that I got and it's brand new by the way there's but still and we've I've talked about it I'm not gonna go through that now in this show but and um and a lot of people have the tradition if they don't do it like normally where they sage and by this I'm saying sage because some people and some people will do it with holy water or with salt whatever your religious beliefs is where you know how they declutter and they cleanse and they get ready in the springtime and I had somebody mention to me like, what they had noticed this thing where after doing a saging and I think they used also salt in the doorways and windowsills. They had had in some cases, certain certain friends and, or certain family members that for some reason, one had either stopped coming to their house or even stopped talking to them. They were like, what is up with this? Because I thought that this, you know, saging and clearing and banishing of negative energies or entities, if that's the case of what you think of, it just could be negative energies, you know, and you're you're basically welcoming in love and light into your space around you. Why is that happening? I said, well, guess what? When you do this, if that person or persons has a negative attachment, you're basically putting up a you're not welcome sign. And this person might not be aware that they have an attachment. They they might, more than likely, they might be totally unaware. They just can't understand, well, all of a sudden, they don't want to really want to go to your house or want to be around you. Mostly, let's go for the fact of, let's say, you did it where you live, where they don't want to come and see you. They don't want to come to your house. Or they insist on, oh, well, let's meet someplace and have dinner. Or where maybe a neighbor. We can go the neighbor route. All of a sudden, doesn't want to come to see you anymore. Uh, and I mean, they were describing, and it was like, because when you do a cleansing or banishing, and basically you're putting up a barrier, anybody that's got negative energy, but and, and, and let me make this distinction. It doesn't even necessarily have to be, uh, an entity or an attachment or a parasite. What Paul was talking about, it could be somebody who's just carrying a lot of bad, negative vibes about them, you know, and sometimes you might be totally unaware of it. And it's what's going up in, in here, which translate down to here and then to here. And sometimes people, they appear something that you have no idea or no clue what's going on internally with them or behind closed doors. Number one, you might not know them that well, or they don't talk about it, uh, whatever the case might be. But and that's why I'm addressing this, because a lot of people said, well, I don't understand why after I did this I've had even friends just drop off. People don't call me or certain people, not everybody, certain people. I said, because when you banish negative energies and entities, you are putting up a barrier for them to come to your home. They're going to feel uncomfortable. They might not understand why. As a matter of fact, I want to say 99% of the time people don't understand why. Okay. Or if they want to see you, they say, like, "Oh well, let's meet. Let's go to dinner." And what's and and, I, and and they were describing all of a sudden like this person doesn't call them anymore, forget coming to the house doesn't call them anymore, and that's be, that's why. Because more than likely there's something, some negative, whatever dot dot dot, that's hanging out with them and coming to the place where you saged insulted and banished negative and you're only saying i only allow light and love to come into this place guess what you know almost like and i know i'm I'm being here a little bit hollywood here you know like the the vampire that can't cross the threshold unless invited well this is not a question of per se of invitation because obviously you extended an invitation to this person or persons we're talking here where it's almost like you rescinded the, the do not welcome you know i mean by this i'm sure that it's not like they're going to start hissing or you know things is going to pop off of them if they come to your house but they might even feel uncomfortable or like all of a sudden they're like yeah and they want to leave or and you're like what happened what's going on why is this person all of a sudden feeling like uh they don't want to like be here i thought they were let's go down the route that they said that they were going to spend the day here and now they're they're ready to leave as soon as basically they're here five minutes. And in some cases I've heard of, you know, uh, guests or family actually getting physically sick. And people just don't understand how did that, you know, like they're like totally perplexed as to how that happened or why that is why people sometimes have negative, And by this, I'm telling you, I don't think you should stop doing that. Okay. You should not stop doing this as far as if whatever your practice is, I don't think you should stop because there's ways around it. But it makes you... I'm just saying that this makes you a little bit more aware of that. Again, what do you want to call them? Parasites or attachments or whatever. Sometimes they're more common than you believe. And sometimes it's just bad vibes. You know, nothing... Not, not a spiritual being, but just negative stuff going on so if you think you're banishing only something on a spiritual or energetic field no you're actually banishing people that carry those vibes as well so anyway guys i hope you like the show i've got a lot of interesting guests coming return and new ones so i want to go again thank you so much for coming back every week and being here with me and uh, again if you have any um, stories that you want to share with me Go ahead and send them to me at marlene at my amigos chronicles if you have any guests that you would uh like me to bring on or any subjects like this one that somebody said i want i want you to talk about this because i think this happens to other people i said okay let's talk about it um any topic anything like that please contact me and again uh go to my chronicles.com for links to the videos to the podcast platforms where the show is released on i also host uh Two other podcast series which is nightshade diaries and uh supernatural story time which is scary storytelling they each have their own individual sites and uh you can find us everywhere i'm just you know you can find a podcast version if you have certain podcast platforms that you like to find us on i'm there and again if you go to marlene i i put on there uh anything having to do with my writing and the new books that are coming out so again guys thank you so much Uh, I really enjoy this time that we spent together. Take care.